Hi, all. These are generally conversations between adults after the children have left the table. The language can be spicy, and the subjects can get saucy. So if you're ready, this is the Southern Fork. Unscripted kitchen chats, and also studio chats, with some of the most interesting voices in the culinary South. I'm Stephanie Burt, a food and beverage writer based in Charleston, South Carolina, who travels with her fork to write for a variety of publications, from magazines you might have on your coffee table to the website you love to visit for your favorite recipes. And I'm inviting you to come behind the scenes with me to get to know the people who make this Southern culinary landscape so special. I'm always hungry for the next bite thirsty for that next sip, and ready for the next conversation. Let's dig in. The Southern Fork is presented this year by Townsend Automotive in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. If you follow this podcast, then you know I had a chance to drive a Townsend Honda CRV late last year. Besides its really impressive gas mileage, up to 34 miles to the gallon, I loved the backup camera and ease of handling through those Appalachian twists and turns, from heading off the parkway to street parking in downtown Boone. Buying your Honda from Townsend Honda means purchasing from a family-owned company built on service and connection with its customers. And they want to remind you of the joys of a jaunt down the road. Visit TownsendHonda.com for current inventory, or if you're in West Alabama, stop in. Townsend Honda salutes local entrepreneurs from restaurateurs to podcasters, and they welcome you to be part of a community that does the same. The Southern Forks culinary sponsor is Zoop, good, really good broth. As you know, I aspire to run a no-waste kitchen, so I make some homemade broth out of chicken bones or shrimp shells. But, since broth is such an important recipe building block, I simply don't make enough to use in all of my recipes. Sometimes, I like to enjoy a cup of bone broth in the afternoon, too. That's why I'm really glad that Zoop Good Really Good Broth is available at so many natural and mainstream retailers across the country, including Walmart, Sprouts, and Kroger, plus online at walmart.com, zoopbroth.com, and Amazon. Developed by the team behind Zoop Eatery. You listeners in the Midwest and East Coast, you know how good it is. This flavor-first product is kettle-cooked in small batches and completely free of artificial ingredients, preservatives, hormones, gluten, and GMOs. The lineup includes new seafood broth and new spicy chicken bone broth, plus original and low-sodium chicken broth, veggie broth, chicken and beef bone broth, and certified organic chicken and organic veggie. And since Zoop Good Really Good Broths come in glass jars, they're easy to reuse in the kitchen or recycle. 
Southern Fork listeners can get 20% off their first purchase by using the code Southern Fork on Amazon. That's Southern Fork, all one word, on Amazon. Delicious, convenient, and good for you. Zoop Good Really Good Broths are a great pantry staple. Browse delicious recipes and learn more at zoopbroth.com or by following Zoop Good Really Good on Facebook and Instagram. If you're from the South, the pizza tradition here has usually centered around game night, movie night, study groups, or volunteer dinners, with big boxes lined up on a table sitting out long after we've all finished eating. It's often good, but not really a Southern Fork subject. However, the following discussion is not about that kind of pizza, but something a lot more transcendent, at least if you're like me and love carbs. Kyle Giacovino of Pizzeria Vittoria in Savannah, Georgia, is a dedicated Neapolitan pizza practitioner, and his attention to technique is something I taste in every bite. He honed his southern cooking chops under famed chefs Linton Hopkins and Hugh Atchison, but Pizzeria Vittoria is all his. His passion, his sweat equity, and his attention to detail. And he consistently makes some of the best pizza I've ever had. Welcome to the Southern Fork, Kyle. Happy to be here, finally. Oh, I know. It's only years in the making. <laughs> um, so we are sitting inside with our socially distanced mics here inside. Yes, yes. We're, we're in the Starland District, and this container area is called? Uh, this is called the Starland Yard. Okay, yeah. Starland Yard. Yeah. And this is where your pizzeria is. That's right, our you- little brick-and-mortar pizzeria. We're socially distanced barely because it's only like 400 square feet in here. <laughs> <laughs> but does the oven that is beautiful and tiled, does it have a name? Sometimes they do. You know, I thought about that for a long time, and I just decided not to name it. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. Italians were like big on like naming everything after a saint and all this kind of stuff. And I was like, yeah, we're just going to mm-hmm. we're going to leave it. No name. Well, it was a beautiful day to slide down 17 Highway 17 South through the marsh and over the Savannah River to come eat lunch with you. And yeah. as per how I do, I somehow weaseled my way into a pizza. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my God. Do you normally eat before you do the podcast? No. Okay, cool. Mm-mm. Oh, so I feel like it was a good move. It's a solid move. Yeah. I might just incorporate it into all future I podcasts. I think you should. It kind of hypes up for the podcast. You got some food in there, you know? Yeah, it was really good. Yeah. So uh, we met years ago um, when you were when you also fed me pizza and a lot of other things. I think there yeah, was Amaro. Yeah. There was Octopus. A lot of there pasta. was pasta. Oh, yeah. A lot of pasta at the Florence, That's which right. is now no more here in Savannah, Georgia. No must flow. Yes. Yeah. But I remember at that time I said I'm going to have this man on the podcast because I want to talk about pizza. So cool. here we cool. are today. Yeah. The inaugural pizza episode <laughs> for the Southern Fork. Oh my gosh. And this is your first like kind of pizza episode, right? Yeah. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. You've never talked pizza on Southern Fork. 
And I really talk pizza right, cool. on the Southern Fork. So uh, let's let's get it out of the way. How long have you lived in Savannah? That's a great question. I think we're on almost seven years now. Wow. Yeah. Wow. It doesn't feel like seven now. It feels like four. Yeah. 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 So you moved south to mm-hmm. work in Athens, correct? Uh, no. Actually, um, from upstate New York, uh, Ryan Smith of Staple House, right. that's when he was between Bacchanalia and Eugene. Mm-hmm. And then once he took over CDC of Eugene, I moved down to Savannah and I started working at uh, Restaurant Eugene with Lynn Hopkins and Ryan. Oh, yeah, that's right. I was a sous chef over there. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you you started out of the gate. So, right. um, and obviously, I should mention that you are of Italian heritage. Yes, Italian so, American. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, pizza and pasta are your thing, but mm-hmm. when did you when did you click into being a chef with pizza instead right. of being a eater? For sure, for sure. It was definitely the Florence. You know, obviously, I grew up around pizza and all that kind of food. Um, the Florence was, I think, my dream restaurant, everything I've always wanted and wanted to cook. And it's funny because I was going to leave Empire State South, and Hugh was like, why are you leaving? I was like, yeah, I'm just kind of tired of cooking Southern food. I want to find and cook my food. And it was just kind of like, what is that? I was like, it's Italian food. And he's like, all right, well, how can we get that done? And he's, I was like, I think about traveling to Italy. He's like, how about I send you to Italy and then we open an Italian restaurant together? I was like, yeah. <laughs> That's <laughs> You're like, right and there the is this real? <laughs> yes. Yeah. So it was crazy. And, um, you know, so I owe Hugh. I sent a lot to that because he stuck by his, his word on that and sent me to Italy. And I was there for about four to five months. Um, I just fell in love immediately with everything i just knew this this was it so when i came back from italy that's when i took over athens while the uh the florence was being built okay that's where yeah so that was the year my first radar hit that's right um and then moved down here and we opened up the flow and that's when it clicked and you know i'm sure you have a million other questions but like the whole pizza thing and just like chefy thing i don't even want to call it a chefy thing it just more of less like how can i treat pizza like a plate how can i treat it and you know and give it the respect it deserves and just doing everything. How do you, how you think about cooking food is how I thought about pizza. How can you source locally? How can you find local meals and how can you really showcase everything that goes in that pizza in a special way? And that's where like the chefiness kind of click, but in a very kind of cool, mm-hmm. calm mm-hmm. way. Yeah. So let's start with the plate itself yeah. and, and that sourcing local grains. Right. That is, that sounds very chefy, but sure. sure. As somebody who has written about heirloom grains right. for several magazine, yeah. <laughs> um, I know how difficult it is to get a consistent source, right? Exactly for something that you have to like put out a lot for. So you're mm-hmm. using a lot of grain here. Right, so right, you we were just chatting as I was not saying anything and mm-hmm. stuffing my face with pizza <laughs> um, that. You have now switched to Lindley Mills. Yeah, so and it's it's great that you touched on that too, right? Because it is hard to be consistent and find these local mills. And so my idea now, while I was talking to Lindley, and now I just talked to Castle Valley, which they're in PA, is is how can I bring in a different mill each month and make it kind of fun that way? So my mm-hmm. new thing that I want that I want to do is basically every thirty to forty five days find a new mill bring in their grain and showcase their grain through the pizza. And 
And I, you know, and I'm no baker by any means, but what I did learn is that the more I can think like a baker and act like a baker and the more I can have respect for what they do, better showcases the pizza that we put out, right? Mm-hmm. And I think because pizza is bread, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Pizza is bread and you have to treat it like bread and that's that's what we're trying to do here. So that's what we're going to do. So the first up is Lindley from North Carolina mm-hmm. and a lot of this, you know, I owe a lot of credit to Chris over at Root Baking who's taught me a lot about Chris natural. Chris Wilkins. Yeah, Chris Wilkins yeah. who's, mm-hmm. in my opinion, one of the best bakers in the country and he's taught me so much about natural leavening and grain sourcing and, you know, who to connect with and I think he's actually going to send me some durham wheat uh, next week which is awesome. So yeah, we're going to do Lindley first which is their sprouted grain which mm-hmm. is killer because basically you're getting all the nutrients from the plant and all the nutrients from the grain and it's just so easy to digest and the flavor that it produces in the crust is insane. Mm-hmm. So we're super pumped about that and i just talked to castle valley which is up in pa and i know it's not the south but you know i grew up up north i'm from pennsylvania and castle valley is like literally like an hour down the road from where Mm -hmm. i grew up so to be able to bring in like grain from those guys too and bring it down here i think is just awesome that is great um you said gosh you haven't had my pizza in years yeah and i was like no and you're like it's it's so much different it's so changed since the Florence Absolutely. and when you first clicked in mm-hmm. like to this kind of like driver's seat. Right. Can you tell me some of the specifics about how it's changed? Absolutely. I think me just having a better understanding of how dough works, how it's controlled, the fermentation process, um, knowing when the dough is ready, knowing when the dough is dead and when you should throw it away. Those are all like hypercritical points. Me just understanding all that stuff because even – you know, when I was with Chris, you know, Chris was only there for, I think, a year. And then he left, um, which was a big loss. But I was so happy for him to open his own bakery. Um, but, you know, being a baker isn't easy. And understanding natural leavening isn't easy. It takes a, a lot of practice and a lot of time. And I think over the years, the more I practiced, the more I understood, the more I learned about it, uh, the dough just got better. Mm-hmm. Um, and fast forward to Victoria. I mean, now now it's mine, right? Victoria is 100% mine, and it's my first brick-and-mortar business. So that in itself is just like, yes, mm-hmm. something that's finally mine. And, and you still make every dough ball. Yeah, currently still make every dough ball. I think I think I roll like 250 to 300 a day by myself. So you get pretty quick at it after a while. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so when you're switching up your different grains, mm-hmm. how is that going to change the dough? I uh, mean, yeah, you're yeah. you're basically challenging yourself – to continue learning, right? Absolutely, yeah. And that's the fun part about it. And the same thing, you know, when you think as a chef and you bring in different ingredients and you roll with different flavors and you try to execute different plates and textures and, and acid, I think it's the same way how you treat a grain, right? Every grain has a different character, you know, characteristic. So it's like some are give off sweet notes, some are a little bit more kind of like savory and deep and like kind of fall forward. And every grain has a personality, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. But I think almost every grain has something beneficial to showcase in a piece of dough. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not saying like every dough is going to be like a winner, right? Like I'm not going to sit here and, and do rye pizza. Cause I think that would be kind of weird, kind of weird, <laughs> kind of, kind of dense. I'm sure it's kinda, out there. Kind of dense, kind of flat. You know it's out yeah, there somewhere. You know. uh, so yeah, we're just going to try to bring in every grain we can possibly make work through our pizza dough. Mm-hmm. I learned this only a couple years ago because as a Southern food writer, mm-hmm. I don't often write about pizza, yeah. but I er- learned the term leopard spots. Oh, leoparding. Yeah. Leoparding. Yeah, right. Yeah, Can you, yeah. how do you, I saw you moving the pizza a mm-hmm. lot right. in the oven. Um, 
how does that happen? And I know it happens because it's bubbling so fast, sure. but how yeah. do you control it? Yeah, so that's just a Maillard reaction that happens in the in the crust. And it's good that you brought that up too because I think most pizza guys need to know that there is good leopardine and bad leopardine. And you, you'll see that some doughs have like a nice kind of even leopardine, like a beautiful kind of like, you know, uneven leopardine. Uh, which is great, but then you can see when the leopardine becomes to be too much. So if you see like kind of like the white crust and the huge black spots, that's actually a sign that your dough is kind of like on its way out and like there's no more food and the yeast is kind of dying and like it's just kind of like falling apart. Where you kind of want that beautiful caramelization, that nice brown, even leopard going all the way around. Mm-hmm. And the spinning, yeah, that's just so it cooks evenly. Mm-hmm. And when the fire is that hot, I mean, you got to keep rolling it because we're cooking around, I think, like at 850, 875. Wow. And so it's like, in there for what, 90 seconds? Yeah, we're a little bit over 90 seconds because I think it just offers like a better cook on it. And that's kind of the biggest thing where people don't like Neapolitan pizza because they say, oh, it's too soggy or all oh, this and that. And, you know, there is a lot of Neapolitan pizzas that are just cooked way too fast, way too fast at 60 to 90 seconds. And then that way, like it does get a little bit soggy in mm-hmm. my opinion. So mm-hmm. I, feel, I feel like if you get that extra... 15 to 20 seconds and know how to rotate it and kiss that crust on the bottom. It gets that perfect fluff, a little bit of crisp, but like that nice softness to it. Mm-hmm. It's and like, there's a good chewiness. And then yeah, yeah. you were like, you got to fold it. And I gotta was like, fold it. okay. Yeah. It's a sourdough crust. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I think uh, Americans know a lot more about sourdough after yeah. this year. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. So um, we haven't really talked about toppings mm-hmm. and, this is where I start to get into my own personal taste levels. Cool. So when I was a kid, we didn't eat out that much. Right, right. right? Mm-hmm. So, but we did eat at Godfather's Pizza. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. Is that is that now gas station pizza or? I don't know what it is now. I don't think it's Hunt Brothers or anything. But yeah. at the time, it was Godfather's Pizza and it was in Charlotte and it had a lot of green peppers on it, okay. which I can remember. Yeah. But it was thick, like in a cast iron, like deep dish, oh, almost right. kind yeah. of like that cool, thick. Cool. Yeah. But I never really understood nor liked Pizza Hut pizza because okay. it was it was just red sauce and <laughs> gross. Like even as a kid and yeah. Chuck E. Cheese and all that, oh, I'd be yeah. like, I don't really like pizza. And right, I, right. My, you know, I already had no friends and mm-hmm. they just thought it was horrible <laughs> after that they were like she's not from this planet if she doesn't like this you know Chuck E. cheese yeah but we just had food at home you know we and but godfather's pizza was different you right. know because it, it didn't have that when i went to italy mm-hmm. everything changed i did yeah and it's this style of pizza that really um just caught my imagination for as sure. far as this for sure are there regional regionalisms mm-hmm. within this style that you have chosen to take on here because you're not cooking in Italy? Right. You studied in Italy, but right. you're not cooking in Italy. Right, for sure. Yeah, you know, my passion lays in southern Italy. Um, I have a lot of very, very, very good close friends that are all in Naples. They're in Puglia. Um, so that that southern, um, southern Italian pizza will always just kind of stuck to me. It's something I always know I wanted to do and try to replicate just because everything behind it, the passion, the ovens, the technique, the skill set, everything requires just was like just thrilling to me. Mm-hmm. You know, like there's a lot of different styles of pizza where, you know, like pan pizza and pizza taglio where I'm not trying to take away from their passion at all. But like, you know, a lot of it just kind of place in the pan and put it in the deck oven and, you know, kind of not set it and forget it. I would hate to say that. 
But I just think the skill set and the attention to detail Neapolitan pizza requires it's is an just, intentionality, yeah, right? And it's so intense, everything about it. Like when you're, you know, rocking out two to three to four hundred pizzas in a nine hundred degree oven, it's it's thrilling, right? It's like being a line cook, right? And picking up, you know, fifteen twenty plate pickup. You got to get it out, right? Like that for me. That's what that that aspect of Neapolitan brings to me. Mm-hmm. So it's it's just that adrenaline that I love about it. Mm-hmm. How do you source? How do you walk the line between authentic ingredients and sourcing local? Because sure. obviously you have a pedigree that really provides you the chance to. I mean, you already had a, what we would call a rolodex when right. you came to this of, right, right. of sourcing. Absolutely, so, yeah. How do you choose, you know, which one is local and what you import? Because you're you're importing Sicilian olive oil. For sure. Right? You're not using the Georgia olive oil. Right. No rudeness to them, but yep. you have very strong feelings about that. For sure. Yeah, I think that part came easy, and it, it's just, it's very easy to pay homage to where something came from and to also respect where you're at, right? And I think that part is just another aspect It's just so off the rip, you know, it's like, okay, we're in the Southeast and we have great grains. The East Coast has great grains. So that's, that's a no brainer. That's very easy to execute and bring in. And it's like, why wouldn't you use grains that are here in the South or on the East Coast? It's just, it just makes sense. And I would even think that if you talk to an Italian guy from Naples, Italy, he would be like, yeah, like use, use your grain that's closest to you. Right. right. You know, when they're in Sicily, Sicily has some of the best wheat in the world. Like, you know, they're going to use Sicilian wheat. Um, so that part is, is pretty easy. And then, the ingredients we have great farms down here so that produce is really easy to pull and put on your pizza and but then there's some things that you know we're not i don't want to say we're not that great at but like you know when it comes to mozzarella and all that kind of stuff or olive oils i just think that italy can produce it a lot better and it tastes great and i think what we are trying to do is also source those are heritage ingredients for like sure you wouldn't expect yeah italy to grow amazing varieties of okra for sure and exactly mozzarella yeah. is a heritage ingredient absolutely yeah. come from certain cows and all that mm-hmm. and and i think you know the olives that sicily grows and mm-hmm. the way the olive oil tastes it's i don't think we can replicate that in georgia or right. in north carolina right and if we could i'd be the first one in line to buy it right. so but like at the same time like we need olive oil on pizza and there's nothing against georgia olive oil at all and like you know but it's just i think the sicilian olive oil tastes great and I think it should be on the pizza. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And you get to make those decisions. <laughs> yeah. To me, am I correct in saying that this style of pizza mm-hmm. is all about the crust and how to accentuate the crust with the toppings yeah, exactly. instead of Absolutely. being a vehicle for the toppings, for right? Sure. Yeah, and I think that is – yeah, you're totally, you totally nailed it. And that's where that – aspect come came from like you know i have to think like a baker right how can i think like a baker how can i try to become what a baker is and i don't you know it's like what we have to do is we have to focus on the crust first right how can we make that crust the best tasting crust you can create and then after that it has to be a balance of toppings and it has to complement the crust and the last thing you want is like an overloaded pizza with these toppings that are falling off the pizza and you're just scooping up with a fork. And, right. you know, I think more and more people are kind of getting that and understanding that when they have our pizza. You know, in the beginning, we used to get like lots of like extra pepperoni, extra cheese. And then we would actually do it. But I think the guests then realized, like, oh, wait, I don't think that's correct because it's just like too much. It's just too much. Pizza's and like you know apart. once you try it, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it's it's good that you did that because they learn the palate, you right, know, that right. we have. So um how many times a week do you eat pizza? 
Uh, now I think it's down to twice a week now, mm-hmm. which I think mm-hmm. is pretty good. That's yeah. pretty solid. Yeah, I w- mean, like yeah. it's so easy, and <laughs> you know, like to me, I people love pasta, yeah. and I love pasta too for sure. But I don't really care about pasta. Right, right. I care about pizza crust. Yeah. Like I wanted to eat all that crust, right, even right. though. You got to have a piece. Yeah. I really wanted your crust. <laughs> I mean, don't get it twisted. I want to eat pizza every day, but I can't. Right, right, right. <laughs> but I can't. You know, so now, now it's twice a week. It was like, I think, at least minimum five, six days a week, mm-hmm. you know? Because like I said, it's just, it's here. It's so right. good. I want to eat it. But like now it's like, oh, okay, we got to cut that back a little bit. So Savannah, we were talking about this beforehand, but mm-hmm. Savannah really has been a place that, you know, people keep saying this is the next up and coming oh, place yeah. and yeah. this yeah. is going to be the pop. And, you know, I see you when you come to Charleston because you come, well, pre-COVID. For sure. Because, yeah. you know, you would come to Charleston for the weekend with your girlfriend to eat. Right. And you would text me and be like, Steph, let's meet up. And yeah. it would be so much fun. Yeah. Where should I eat? Um, where should we eat? What should we do? I love being able to do that, but I just don't think that scenes pop like they did 10 mm-hmm. years ago. Right. How has cooking in the city changed since you've been here for seven years? You know, it's been it's been a slow ride, and I say that with the utmost respect. I think, it's, I think we all thought it was just going to completely explode. Kind of like what Charleston did, I think, what, 10 years ago, now maybe 15. Mm-hmm. Um, and we just didn't get as many people to come here and open up amazing restaurants as, as we thought we were. I think we still have a, follow, uh, a solid food scene, but it's just, you know, it's just slow and steady. I think more and more people are want to come to Savannah. You know, I think it's a hard town to kind of crack because you're trying to figure out what kind of tourists is coming, you know, who – you know, who are the regulars? What do they want to eat? Um, and I think it's just, it's still happening. Just mm-hmm. not at the rate we thought it was going to happen. Well, and I think that that is, in, from my perspective, a little better yeah. than uh, what I have seen. I mean, there's an organic nature to it. For sure. Instead of a forced. I mean, in a lot of places like a San Francisco, like yeah. a Nashville, like a Charleston, mm-hmm. you get a glut. You get a, a bloating of right. the scene. Yeah. And so which then, isn't good. Which in, isn't in, good. In the end game, it's not good. In yeah. the end game. Yeah. So at least you're not having that. For sure. Yeah. I think um, the more people figure out that it's a beautiful city, because like Savannah is a downright gorgeous city. Oh my god! I mean, I love living here. I really don't want to move. I miss the city. I want to be able to like. I think my dream one day is like have an apartment in a big city, but then have a house in Savannah. It's kind of like my my big dream because it's such a gorgeous, beautiful city, and we want the right people to come here to open up the right restaurants. It just you know we do need some more guys to come here and do it. Um, but I want to see awesome, small, focused concepts i think sometimes what happens is people come here and i'll use the florence for an example because I've, I've been through it you know we open up these monster concepts that are just so, it was a huge yeah i mean so big you know and yeah. it's like you know savannah isn't atlanta savannah isn't new york city like we have a low population here so you have to be smart on how big of an operation you open and i think smaller the better mm-hmm. you know i mean maybe bigger than 480 square feet that we have here but mm-hmm. you know i think we just you can't expect to open up this ten thousand square foot restaurant and make millions of dollars and you're gonna be successful in savannah it's just it's just not gonna work right so hopefully we're just smart about how we grow and the kind of restaurants that open up and really kind of think about that before they open so 
Oh, man. It's been a year. Yeah. It's been a year. Heck you've of a been year. through. It's been a few years. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you've been through some different things mm-hmm. between the Florence and just sitting right here in this space. Yeah. It's been a long ride. What is making you hungry? Like physically making me hungry right now? However you want to answer it. Um, mentally, what's making me hungry is just to keep doing what we're doing to get better and better and try to be the best pizzeria in the Southeast. Mm-hmm. Hopefully one day America or top 10. I mean, those are our, our big aspirations and that's what we're shooting for. Um, and then physically hungry, um, sushi. Sushi. Yeah, sushi. Yeah, it doesn't seem like a heavy sushi town. No, it's not. Some really good sushi or some ramen, like just really solid Japanese food, mm-hmm. or like an awesome oyster bar. Oh yeah, you know. Yeah, I love an oyster bar. We all know this. Um, what is one aspect of this job that really meshes like a puzzle piece with an aspect of your personality? Um, you know, we all have things that just fit. Like for yeah. me, I can talk. Right. So. Right. I think um, I grew up playing a lot of sports, uh, even at the Florence or how I approach my career in cooking. I try to always treat it like it's a big game or like the big game, you know, mm-hmm. and it's that competitive aspect in it. It just fits well with me. Just always wanting to compete. Right. And I just feel like when you're prepping, you're getting as ready you're for wearing the, a Yankees cap, as I'm wearing a Yankees cap, <laughs> go Yanks. I think we're going to win the World Series this year. Um, but yeah, I think that aspect, it just fits hand in hand. Mm-hmm. Like when you're cooking, it, it's competitive, but it's fun. You know, there's a lot of prep and mental aspects to it. It just, it just clicks. Mm-hmm. And even when I'm rolling dough balls, right? Like what gets me through rolling 300 dough balls six days a week? I mean, that, when you really think about it, that's a lot. And it's a lot of, it's a mental game and it's a mental toughness. So what gets me through it is just how fast can I do this? How can I get better at it? What keeps me rolling to do this day in and day out? And it's that just competitive mental toughness that that, that, that derives and from sports. a lot of podcasts. I do listen to a lot of podcasts. Yeah. A lot. Yeah. They're full. Mm-hmm. <laughs> On the other side of things, what's yeah. keeping you up at night? Um, What keeps me up at night? Probably those nights don't happen too often anymore since I've opened Victoria. We're over a year old. Um. At first, uh, just nervous, you know, being nervous, not sure if it was going to work, you know, because once your money is on the line, like you think about every little thing that can go wrong, right? And once you start thinking about that, like it just, you just can't sleep. So that was killing me for a while. But once, once I settled down and I just saw that pizzas were coming out of the oven, people were buying more and more pizzas. They were coming back. And this was a pizza is a good thing to have pizza and barbecue. Yeah. For 2020. Absolutely. Yeah. Because sure. people can take away, they understand. The takeaway model yeah. for for those two things. Yeah. So. Yeah, it was tough. I mean, being a first time business owner, I mean, I've worked my entire career. I've been cooking since I was 17. I'm 34 now. To finally get to that point and to finally open up your first brick and mortar, then COVID just whaps you. You're like, oh, what do you like? What am I going to do? Like, it was so yeah. heartbreaking. Yeah. But then the awesome part about it and why, again, I love Savannah is the community around us. We do have a very tight community and they love what we do. And they kept coming back. They love kept it. calling in. Love it. They kept calling in saying, yep. I need one of those. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I I even bring this in the um, in the car with me. 
okay. uh, two hours south. But yeah. I have a magic picnic basket. You might have heard about it. It's only really for Southern Forkless uh, guests. Okay. And it means that I can time travel. I can go <laughs> back in time to conscript anybody to make anything for you. Okay. Um, I can source for you. I can cook a little bit. Okay. Um, though much better fried okra than pizza. Oh, so never it. ask that. <laughs> I would love to put together some things and bring you some of your favorite things in the basket. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't have to go all together. Just okay. some stuff that you like. Just some random. Random combo. Random, okay. It's for you. Yeah. So just what can I bring you? Um, first thing that comes to my head is uh, lemon bars. Oh. I'm addicted to lemon bars. Okay. And this is not to pump Chris, uh, Chris Wilkins' head up because, you know. Doesn't need it, but his le- his. Le- <laughs> I didn't say that, Chris. His, his lemon bars were absolutely insane. Like, okay. hand, but I've always loved lemon, you know, lemon bars before that. But his his were killer. Uh, lemon bars are amazing. So that needs to be in a basket times like twelve. Um, after that, some sort of Calabrian chili condiment paste. I mean, I think everything that I eat comes with spice. Mm-hmm. So I gotta have something like a nice jar. Right now, I, have, I got this stuff uh, from Colusio Brothers in Brooklyn. So it's this little Calabrian chili paste. And it had these little like ice fish in it, so it was like kind of like umami and spicy oh, and chili. Yeah. Dude, it was so good. It's called neonata. So that lemon bars, um, and then I think um, some sort of like probably like chicken parmesan or any, any specific person you want to make that, you know, like Nana or something. Um, yeah, I guess my grandma, rest in peace. She made a good chicken parm. Um, and then other than that, like, a few bottles of wine, I guess. Sounds some liquor. Good. Yeah, some liquor. I'm on a big rum kick now, so a nice bottle of rum. I don't drink much bourbon anymore. It's super allocated and expensive. Mm-hmm. Really good rum out there. Really good rum <laughs> a out good there. good bottle of Venezuelan rum. Oh, that sounds delicious. <laughs> Can I join? <laughs> I think it's a good mix, right? That's a good mix. Yeah, lemon bars, rum, chicken parm. Yeah, that sounds really great with Calabrian chilies right? on it. Not on the lemon bars, though. <laughs> Well, if you want to learn more about Kyle Giacovino and his wonderful Pizzeria Vittoria Neapolitana. That was close. Okay, well, I'll cut that part out. You can go. Keep it. Keep it. Yeah. You can go to thesouthernfork.com. I am the most southern person trying to pronounce Italian words right now, but I will have um, an Italian American face behind the voice that you have just heard here, as well as some beautiful images of. the pizza that he makes here in Savannah, Georgia. If you like what you hear, there are more than 200 episodes. I promise you that I personally vouch and get to know people for a while before I have them on the show. I have eaten at everybody's place or tried their product or visited their farm. So it's a great way to travel through earbuds throughout the south so that's awesome thank you so much no for thank you for lunch. coming yeah thanks for driving all the way down here to do this this is crazy so fun and i'm sorry for the noisy pizzeria guys <laughs> if you okay. guys can hear that that's all right hello and welcome to talking with my mouthful today i just want to share with you how wonderfully satisfying it is for me to still be in this business I've been covering food pretty exclusively for a decade, and 
The payoff is things like the podcast that you listened to today. I have been following Kyle's career and have been getting to know him little by little through festivals, through him coming to visit, through me going to visit in Savannah through the years. And I can honestly say that he is a friend, but also someone that I respect as a chef. And so there's something really satisfying about continuing to stay in something that I'm passionate about. And I'm passionate about being really a paid observer. That's really what I am of the culinary realm, both nationally and internationally, but also specifically in the South, the Southern U.S. Over the years, you know, it just feels more and more um, like a community, I guess, because I can go to a restaurant that I've never been before and I can look at a menu and I feel like if I see a producer um, listed on that menu that I've had on this podcast or I've visited or I've written about before, that in a way I already have a friend and I already have a connection to a restaurant. And to me, food is about community and this podcast is about community. So I was thrilled to be able to introduce you to Kyle today because now that community is a little bit wider. But I'm starting to be a little bit like the great aunt um, in this business. I've been around for a while. And so um, I'm not the newbie anymore. I'm okay with that, though. uh, I need to buy some new face cream. So anyway, Thanks so much for listening today, and um, I hope you use that coupon code I talked about at the beginning, and I will talk to you next time. Have a great week. You've been listening to The Southern Fork. I can't wait to bring you more culinary conversations, but in the meantime, I have one question. Are you going to eat all that?